to the Employer Blueprint Podcast, where we help leaders build great teams for great companies with your host, entrepreneur and leadership coach, Kyle Gorman. Whether you are hiring your first employee or you are scaling to a point that you're adding hundreds of employees, one of the biggest challenges often for the business owner or the business leader is to figure out how to properly and comfortably relinquish control and give up some of these responsibilities and some of these tasks and duties that they believe that only they can do. And we all run into that because there is this mindset and there is a little bit of truth to it that, you know, it's quicker for me to just do the task than it is to train someone else to do the task. And that there's certainly some truth there. Uh, but of course, what we've got to remember is long term, we're better off taking the time to train someone to do it because that's what's going to be repeatable over and over and over again. And on today's episode, uh, we talked to someone who has had some uh, very clear experience in doing this. And it's his business scaled from uh, zero to $8 million um, and then was managing teams internationally uh, around the world. Uh, you know, he had to figure out how do I relinquish control? How do I properly get this information in front of the right people um, so that they can do the tasks properly. But then he ran into an even greater challenge in that it wasn't as though this was happening in his office uh, right there where, you know, one cubicle over, one office over, he could go and talk to someone. Um, They were growing teams in other countries and he was managing those teams and and had to figure out how to get that information to people in a way that it could be repeatable. And so as we'll talk about today, you know, he discusses delegation, empowering, and then documenting and absolutely documenting everything. And uh, some really great information in here today. Of course, we unpack several other things as well, but some really good information around growth and how to do that uh, properly in a way that it's actually scalable and can be done in a timely manner. So I hope you enjoy today's episode. If you have not done so, please subscribe to the show. And if you have any questions, we would absolutely love to hear them. Have an amazing day. Well, I want to thank everyone for joining us this week uh, on the show and especially thank our guest. Uh, We had a little glitch last time he and I actually met a few weeks ago on the podcast and then uh, had a glitch in production and so asked him to come back and he graciously was able to do that. He uh, really had some great information to share and so I didn't want everyone to miss out on that conversation. So Robert, uh, thank you so much for joining us again. And um, as, uh, uh, as we dive in, why don't you just kind of walk us through history and experience and tell us about how you got to where you are now. Um, the way I tell my story is I was normal. So I was around 28. Yeah. And what I mean, my normal was just living the American dream, living my father's dream, the path laid out to me, uh, did well in high school, did well in college, did graduate school, came to San Francisco, you know, started a small computer integration firm, went to corporate America, mm-hmm. and was just in that six-figure rising star mentality mm-hmm. at 28 years old, had a house, was married, and there was something amiss. There was mm-hmm. just, you know, there was something under the surface that wasn't me. I realized yeah. I was uh, I was also a workaholic. I was overweight. I was distant from my wife. We were like, we didn't really know each other. Yeah. <clears throat> and so then I started doing personal development work around myself and my relationships. Mm-hmm. And uh, through many fortuitous events, um, 
met a woman named Nicole and we hit it off and became fast friends. And then she said she wanted to create this place where people could explore their relationships, their communication, mm-hmm. their sexuality. So I started an organization called One Taste in 2004. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Took it from a paper napkin sketch uh, to an international eight-figure business over 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, which had the adventures, you know, uh, we opened up uh, satellite offices in, you know, London, France, uh, across the United States, yeah. just, you know, all the aspects of affiliates and, and mm-hmm. cash flow analysis and all the details and loved it. And, but also had the impact of my health. So I left in 2014, uh, sold my shares, came to Venice Beach, California and started my own consulting firm where I do uh, half business consulting, uh, finance, interim CFO, mm-hmm. and another side, which is the podcasting, writing, mm-hmm. life coach side. So yeah. uh, very happy uh, at this stage of my life and uh, glad to share knowledge with uh, spectacular people like you. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. And um, so I, I want to dive in first to some of the business side of this and then uh, talk about the personal development and what that's done. And, um, you know, talking on the business side, I think a lot of people, as they hear that story, uh, something that's going to stand out is started as a concept on a napkin and, and grew to an $8 million international organization. That scaling process and, and um, uh, everything that's involved in that and specifically on the team building side. And I know one of the unique things is you were, um, you know, you were managing people, not, not just that they weren't in the same office, they were in different countries. Yes. And so from a, from a scaling perspective, as you, as the business grew, um, what was involved in, in managing and building relationships with people that are all over the world and trying to keep people in kind of a common vision of what direction the business is going? It was mayhem. <laughs> it was just, you know, I love to make this a sweet story, but it was mayhem yeah. because, you know, to be really straightforward, you know, we, we had a lot, of, we didn't have a lot of cash. Mm-hmm. And so we had to inspire the passion of the people working with us to basically work for minimum wage when sometimes they were like professionals that could, you know, demand 10 times that amount. Yeah. But we, we created a shared vision that was really appealing and we created a community around it and we created uh, relationships and intimacy around it. Yeah. And so we inspire. And so the first thing about leadership is to inspire. Mm-hmm. Uh, Simon Sinek is, I think one of the best out there that really writes amazing and does amazing talks on you need to be inspiring as a leader, not inspire them to do your bidding, but inspire them to enhance their own lives and have their own dreams and, Sometimes that means leaving the company, but really just to be in service Mm -hmm. to the people on your team. Um, Sometimes managers more feel more like slaves. Mm -hmm. And there were definitely times I was like that. I was like, Oh my God, you know, they're working for me, but I'm holding them and then back and forth. So (laughs) the first thing is really to inspire, I think is the most important. Yeah. Well, and you mentioned something there too about community. And I think, you know, that's something that, um, many of us strive for in our business is to create the sense of community internally, mm-hmm. but 
but it's not necessarily that easy to do. No. Um, and and you were in a very unique situation, an even more challenging situation. Again, that it wasn't like you had you know twenty five people in one office in one city um, where you had that daily kind of interaction of what's you know what's going on, what's life look like. So, what were some things that you did to create that sense of community within the organization, even spread out as far as you were? Really creating strong core values, mm-hmm. I think, is one of the most important things. Um, I, I'm a CFO now for a company called New Law Business Model, mm-hmm. uh, which helps lawyers enjoy being lawyers, basically. <laughs> um, yeah. And you know, I've been working with them for two and a half years, and then we finally nailed, after two and a half years of meeting, our core values. Mm. And everyone just went, oh, because yeah. one, you know what you're interacting with, you know what the guidelines are, you know what the game is. It's like yeah. we invited them to play the game with us. And some people have read the core values. Like we had one guy, um, he was a marketing guy. And NLBM is really about creating an inner community so we can attract lawyers yeah. so they feel part of something and they feel you know not alone doing what they're doing. So this one poor guy, not really poor guy, but this one guy... <laughs> He just wanted to do his job. He just wanted to market. He wanted to like sit down with his metrics and market and get the leads and you know, inc- you know, increase all his metrics. He wasn't interested in relating. He didn't want to talk about feelings. He didn't want to talk about you know things that the company core values were. Yeah. And he left. And uh, we thanked him for his service and thanked him for his impact. Mm-hmm. It was pretty clear he and no one was happy in the relationship. Yeah. So core values, I think, is the number one thing to yeah. really nail down. And, and do you find that, you know, generally the core values are already there in a business? It's just unpacking them. It's trying to figure out what they are, trying to define those. That the core values sort of the, um, you know, it is kind of the foundation of who you are and the things, that, the yeah. way that you think, the way that the business operates and how decisions are being made. It's just trying to figure out how to unpack those things in a way that you can define them clearly for everyone internally to understand and then even mm-hmm. externally to say, this is kind of who we are. This is what we believe in. And this is what we value. Right. Well, you have conscious and unconscious core values mm. or deliberate or undeliberate. Another way to right. say it. Yeah. Because you might be saying one thing like, and this really does come down to the founder or founders. Yeah. Because if you're not conscious as a founder of what your core values are, mm-hmm. that, um, that question will shake the system. Yeah. And a lot of founders will say one thing but really believe another, creating what's called cognitive dissonance, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. can really uh, bring down the morale and the culture of a company. Yeah. So the, the ability for the founder to say, this is what I believe, this is where we want to go, this is what's mm-hmm. important to us, with the caveat of this could change tomorrow. Yeah. Like core values are a fluid, evolving thing as mm-hmm. the market changes, as your culture changes, mm-hmm. as some new employee comes and inspires a new core value. But to really uh, to codify it, hold it, and then say this is, again, something that can evolve, I think mm-hmm. is really mandatory to create a positive culture which mm-hmm. will create community beyond people working for a salary. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and so again, looking at at 
as that business scaled and as you mm-hmm. got to experience it, um, I'm sure obviously your focus even internally had to shift somewhat. I mean, you, the, the, the role that you have, the role that everyone has, especially early on, you know, when you are a $500,000 business, then become a 1 million and a 2 million and you continue to grow from there, that role is going to change over time. So mm-hmm. how did you see the business evolve and shift and even just sort of in mindset and the way that you did things as it continued to grow and scale? When we first started, we mm-hmm. had a single location in San Francisco. Yeah. Seventh and Folsom. This 4,000 square foot, beautiful building. And we wanted to be a center for people to come to. We wanted to be a tourist attraction. Mm-hmm. You go to Fisherman's Wharf to have your experience. You came to One Taste to have a different experience. Like we really wanted to be a destination spot. Yeah. And so we built a business with a store, a cafe yoga, meditation, workshops. Mm-hmm. It was very vast. Mm-hmm. Then over time, what we found was that it was uh, the different business units were really competing with each other. Mm. And so we started to narrow and twist and mold. And over the years, really, we started to shift our attention that eventually led after 10 years to having really uh, more of an online business than a in person, like we had in person, yeah. but the focus wasn't becoming a tourist location. Right. So, for myself personally, to answer your question, um, when I first started, I did everything. You know, I I ran the POS system, I ran the books, I ran the operations of the center. I took out the trash. I jumped behind the cafe to build a smoothie mm-hmm. and make a smoothie. Like it really was like a very uh, straightforward job. Yeah. And then, as the business evolved over the ten years. I was pushed to learn and adapt. And here's the thing I think that's the most important thing for me to communicate. I am a certifiable control freak at my <laughs> core. Like, yeah. Yeah. and I am anal retentive. Uh-huh. Like if things aren't lined up square, I'm modifying things. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I, I like need to know everything. I need to be involved in everything. And that was great when we started, when we were that. or $200,000 business. And then once we hit a point, I realized that my control freakiness Mm -hmm. was limiting the business. My lack of willingness to grow and expand, to train, to trust, to build systems was limiting the business. So it was like a wake-up call. So then I leaned on great mentors. Mm -hmm. I read books. I got advice. Uh, the uh, COO of CrossFit came mm-hmm. and talked to me and taught me so many things about, you know, rapid expansion. Mm-hmm. Um, I listened to great, you know, there's so much information, great YouTube yeah. videos yeah. Um, and podcasts. And so basically to get to that level, I had to turn down the volume of my control freakiness mm-hmm. and turn up the volume of my communication. Mm-hmm. And in the, in the increase of communication using great technology like Asana, I'm a big fan of Slack. I'm a big fan of, Mm -hmm. then we were able to expand. I empowered the people waiting to be empowered. And all of a sudden we could grow to that eight figure business. Yeah. Well, and then that is a big challenge. I mean, uh, especially for people that are in startup mode and as the organization begins to grow, you, you kind of become the bottleneck and right. the only way to help the business grow is to be willing to delegate and empower people to do that work. Um, 
you know, as you went through that, I mean, obviously there's some challenges involved. Uh, and so what did you do though, to help, um, to help yourself understand this is the right thing to do. This is what I need to do. But then also helping others, um, you know, as you're empowering them, I think one of the many challenges that people face is you kind of, you deal with that in between stage where you say, I know this mm-hmm. is what I need to do. And so I'm going to set you free. I want you to do this, but I still want to kind of look over your shoulder and make sure everything's okay. Um, and so what are maybe some, some kind of guardrails that you put in place just to help make sure that as you were delegating and as you were really um, empowering people to do things that you were able to do that in a way that allowed them to find their own success um, while you then looked for your next project, the next things that you need to focus on. Mm -hmm. Uh, Documentation, Mm -hmm. SOPs. Mm -hmm. I cannot um, say this enough. Take all the thoughts that are in your head Mm-hmm. The brilliant processes you have that are so simple to you and get them into a Google Doc and write it down step by step like you're talking to a seven-year-old. Yeah. Because uh, that enabled me to say, okay, you're now in charge of this aspect of the business. Mm-hmm. Here's the guidebook mm-hmm. for how I did it. Read yeah. it. When you have questions, ask. If there's something missing, Tell me, but the slowing down, the codification, the creating of those SOPs saved me thousands of hours. Because guess yeah. what? That person I trained, mm-hmm. you know, he disappeared or she disappeared or, mm-hmm. or moved to a different position or left. And right. if I didn't have the SOPs, then the next person, I'm spending hours mm-hmm. saying the same thing over. And I had to learn this the hard way, to be honest, but I just started to write everything down. Mm-hmm. And then when they know what the job is, create uh, KPIs, known mm-hmm. performance indicators, yes. and set them up to win. Yes, yes. So KPIs is a great communication tool to say, I, my expectation of as a COO to you is these 27 things you have mm-hmm. to do per month. You mm-hmm. keep track of them. We'll meet twice a month to go over your KPIs and say, Okay, this one you've nailed. Mm-hmm. This one, I don't know how to do. Great. Okay, let's work on it. Right. So again, it's codification. It's right. It's taking the time. It's a pain in the ass too. I don't want to make this <laughs> seem like this is easy. It right. is. It's like, I can just do this and it'll take me 10 minutes instead of right. spending an hour writing this SOP. Yeah. And the, the return of investment on writing that thing down to set yeah. KPIs is off the charts. Yes, that that's the key right there. I'm, I'm I'm so glad that you said that because I think that right there is something that I hear more than any. Whenever I'm talking to people about this exact same thing, and I'm saying, um, you know, you got to empower people, and by empowering, that means you need to uh, help them understand what to do, but then let them go do that. And sometimes you've got to let them even fall and trip a little bit and be there to help support them. And one of the biggest roadblocks in doing that, one of the biggest challenges people have in doing that, is but I can answer the question in 30 seconds right? as opposed to training them how to do it, which may take me 30 minutes right? and, and then helping them understand that, right. But the 30 minutes one time will save you hours and hours ongoing. And, mm-hmm. but I really love what you, what you outlined there. And I don't want people to miss that. Take those ideas and thoughts in your head because a, a, a lot of us, and I know, you know, when I have these conversations with people, these things are going through our head all the time. Right. Um, 
technology is so brilliant today and that you can get those thoughts out of your head and on paper um, anytime, anywhere. You know, you mm-hmm. can speak to your phone and tell it to yeah. take those notes for you and get those things documented. And then for that matter, you can outsource to someone to have them put those things in, a, in an order of some kind. But there's no reason in the world why we can't document those processes that we have in our head or those things that are so easy to us. And um, I, I think one of the big things that I've learned along the way is that what to me is common sense because the way my mind works and because of the life experiences that I've had and the career experiences that I've had may not make any sense to somebody else. And mm-hmm. so I can't leave that up to chance. And, and, and I love what you said there about document those things, just get it written down. And that one, when you bring somebody in, I've already got the manual written, the manual's right mm-hmm. here. Um, but the other thing I don't want people to miss about what you said there, Robert, is meet with them and communicate mm-hmm. with them. Find right. out where they are, find out where they're going, where the challenges are. Don't just assume that because you've got it written down that they're going to be able to go get everything done and you'll see them in a couple of months and success has happened. Um, we've got to open up those channels of communication with our teams as well uh, so that as they run into challenges, we are there to support them in those, in those times. Right. And, you know, in connection with that, when you hire someone, start with brutal honesty. Mm-hmm. Be ruthless. I use these words deliberately, mm-hmm. whatever word, be deliberate, but speak the truth. Do not let these little things fall by the wayside. Yeah. Speak them. Yeah. Do not set the foundation where you're letting your employees slide because you're worried about them liking you or mm-hmm. them being happy. Like if you like my mistakes of letting things slide with my employees were so expensive, mm-hmm. so time consuming. And so I learned the lesson of importance of being deliberate and mm-hmm. be responsible. Like, okay, mm-hmm. I see that I did not train you mm-hmm. in KPI number 13. Right. Like I, I apologize for that. And I also see that you're kind of hiding that you don't know how to do number 13. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so we're both here this job requires you knowing and learning to do KPI number 13. Yeah. Are you willing to learn it? Yes. Great. Okay. Let's get you the resources you need to do it yeah. because in a month, if it's still like this, we're going to have to talk to you about you in this position. Right. Like right. that level of clarity. Don't take any shortcuts. This is the requirement of being a manager, especially if you want to expand because my expansion depends on me trusting that my staff is going to fulfill the things they said they were going to fulfill. Right. And if they don't, then there's a problem. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I, the way I often put that is, um, uh, you know, good professional communication requires two things. You've got to be direct and empathetic and you have to have a balance yeah. of the two. You uh-huh. can't have one or without the other. Cause if you have too much empathy and not enough direct, then it's real fluff and you beat around the bush, but nobody really knows what's expected. And if you're too direct without being empathetic, then you're just a jerk. And you didn't really yep. get your point across. And yep. we, you've got to have that healthy balance between those two. Um, and that, that's a great point. You know, how many, how many times do we let something slide because we are worried about someone's feelings or whatever? And the reality is, if we lovingly share with someone mm-hmm. the right thing to do, what's expected and how to do it, that's, that is the most loving thing we can do for that person. Mm-hmm. Because if not, they will fail. And better to have that difficult conversation now than, than an even more difficult conversation in a couple of months to say, you're just not working out. And right. now I'm to a boiling point that I, I'm not even willing to try to make it work. And um, so I, I, that's, uh, that's really, 
really helpful information. I'm glad you mentioned that. Right. And in terms of employee law, document, you know, write yes. those things down. Even your contractors, keep yeah. notes, keep track. It's yeah. worth it. Trust me. You want written records. You want clear written records to just to enable everyone to succeed and mm-hmm. find people in the right place. Yeah. 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 That's a, an excellent point as well. And again, in this day, and you know, I've had times in, in the past in my career when, um, you know, you get done with the meeting and I've got to sit down and type everything out. And I spend three times as much time typing out notes from that meeting to protect myself or protect the company right. than I did actually in the meeting. In today's environment, it's so easy. You know, you can recap yep. a meeting verbally on your way home on your phone and it'll record those notes for you. Um, and so there, there's really no excuse to not have that type of documentation. And right. uh, yeah, from a legal perspective, that is incredibly important. Mm-hmm. Well, Robert, I know something that that has been um, obviously a, a big role for you as you've grown your business and then as you've grown personally as well, um, has just been investing in yourself and, mm-hmm. and looking at the more personal side of life um, and filling those voids and filling those gaps. And you talked about, uh, you know, even as you were expanding your career, you had this great American dream, um, mm-hmm. but you knew that there was a, um, there was a void, there was still a gap there. And so you started really kind of personal investment and reading and, and, and hearing and just absorbing content. Um, so what has that personal investment meant for you through the course of your career? And what has that done for you just in uh, your ability to be content and satisfied and then still be a dreamer and, and look for success? Mm. Um, it's everything. It's the only mm. way to say it. It's really been everything. Mm-hmm. So the, my story around this was I was, you know, uh, almost, be- almost before my 29th birthday, I was in corporate America, mm-hmm. you know, again, six figure salary, you know, suit and tie corner, you know, like beautiful offices in San Francisco, the pinnacle of success. And I was disconnected from my, my wife. We just were two people that didn't really even know each other. We were, you know, right. I was a workaholic. She was on her own journey. And so then we uh, went to take a class around our uh, communication and intimacy. Mm-hmm. And to make a very long story short, I made a total fool of myself in the first 10 minutes of that class, like Mm -hmm. really just thoroughly embarrassed myself. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, I had two choices. One was to stand up, demand to leave and go back to the world that I knew my status quo. Mm -hmm. And the second option was to figure out the parts of myself. I couldn't see Mm -hmm. what's known as a shadow that was having me be so, uh, uh, unaware to embarrass myself. Yeah. So it was one of those moments. It was a wake up call. Mm-hmm. And so I chose the second one. I chose to stay and to learn. Mm-hmm. And from that, uh, I discovered all these things about myself. I didn't want to see my ego didn't want me to see. Mm-hmm. And I threw myself deeply into the work of knowing myself mm-hmm. because I knew I, in my old way, I was going to be a good man, a good citizen, you know, probably a good husband, yeah. maybe a husband a couple of times with some failed marriages. Yeah. Who knows? You know, like at the same time, there was this whole rich other part of my life I wasn't seeing. Yeah. And through the work, I realized I was living like my father's dream mm-hmm. more than my own. Mm. So then I started to make, do the work and start to make choices and do more work and start to make choices and mm-hmm. do some more work and start to make choices. Mm-hmm. And then from that, years, I mean, five to six years of intense, expensive personal development work 
I started to find out who I was. And then I set a whole course for my life that's led me here. Mm. So I can say at 49 years old, I like myself. Mm. I like who I am in the world. I like my skills. I like my impact. I like myself. Mm-hmm. And that's not, not something I felt when I started this journey right. days before my 29th birthday. Yeah, yeah. Well, and you know, I think a lot of people go through those moments of um, realization where kind of the light comes on and we say, this isn't who I really want to be. This isn't the direction I want to go. Um, but either they think they're, it's too late you know, they've, they've, well, I've already dug this hole and, you know, in the place that you were in, I've already got this career. I've already got right, um, right. this, th- I've checked all of these boxes and, you know, I can't go back now. Uh, or they get enthusiastic about it for a brief time, but then say, yeah. man, it's, th- what you're talking about is not easy. You know, it's, it's right. hard work and very deliberate, intentional. Um, so, you know, did you face those times? Did you face those um, those kind of demons as you were going through that to say, I, you know, gosh, is this even worth it? And if so, how did you get through that? And how did you continue to focus on what's next and what you need to do? Every day, <laughs> especially in the beginning. Yeah. You know, I had teachers who just like mirrored back to me my behavior, mm-hmm. breaking the story of who I thought I was. And that was some hard hard ways to look at. I mean, really intense stuff. And uh, the thing that got me across was uh, the thought that the pain of staying the same Mm. was greater than the pain of of change. Yeah. Like an example would be like you look in the mirror and you don't like the way your body looks, you don't look healthy. And it's like that pain of looking in the mirror every day is greater than the pain of going to the gym and jumping on that treadmill or working out with a personal trainer for an mm-hmm. hour. It's that simple. It's like we're human beings. We want the the maximum results with the least amount of effort. It's part of our yeah. DNA, right? Yeah. And so in those moments of of vision, it was like I don't want to be this person anymore. Right. But more specifically, I wanted to be better than I was. I liked who I was. I didn't love who I was, but right. I, like I wanted to just keep improving. And then once you get in motion, like once you start going to the gym every three times a week for three or four weeks, then it becomes easy. You're in flow. Right. And so once I got really into the first steps of my personal development, mm-hmm. then I was like, okay, what else can I see? What else? What else is that? What else can I win at? You know, yeah. like it just became a, a really fun, amazing game. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, again, obviously a lot of the folks that are out there listening and, and they, um, they're looking at the impact that this has from the business perspective. What did you see happen to you whenever you started down this journey of personal development and, and sort of, uh, defining like, what is, what does this look like for me in the future? What did you see happening even in your career world and your career life, uh, from that as well? I think if you're happier, and you find your purpose going to work is not going to work anymore. Mm-hmm. It's joy. Yeah. Like I, I love what I do every day and there are days that are harder, but I love getting up and, you know, doing what I do. Right. And so a lot of us, uh, I know I was in a position where I was working for a paycheck. Mm-hmm. I was working for external validation. I was working for my father's approval. Mm-hmm. Uh, all these things were driving me rather than the joy of my career. And mm-hmm. so really discovering who I was enabled me to pick a career that actually matched what I wanted to do rather than I thought 
I should do. Yeah. And then the skills of communication, you know, I, I focus on communication as I think it's the foundation for everything from your, you know, your sex life to your relationship to you being a good boss and having the power of pristine communication. So learning the skills of communication, you know, with my, my partners, my romantic partners extrapolated to my relationship communication with people who worked for me and they Mm -hmm. both fed each other. Mm -hmm. So learning, you know, personal development skills in today's day and age, especially translate to your workforce, your work life. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Um, well, th- this is great. I, I can say, Robert, I really appreciate your willingness to uh, to schedule again and sit down and talk. I just think there are so many great things. And um, I know uh, currently in, in Los Angeles, getting ready to jump on a plane here in just a couple of yeah. hours to head over to Denver. So thank you for taking the time and fitting that into I your schedule. Um, before we head out, how can we connect with you, learn more about what you've got going on and the resources that you have out there? Everything can be found on my website, robertcandell.com. That's K-A-N-D-E-L-L.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also have a book published. It's called Unhidden, A Book for Men and Those Confused by Them, mm-hmm. which is about a lot of things I talked about are in that book. Mm-hmm. I have a podcast. Uh, I have writing. But everything can be found at robertcandell.com. All right. Well, thank you so much, Robert. I appreciate uh, you taking the time, and I wish you safe travels this afternoon. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thanks for joining us on the Employer Blueprint Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show to receive the latest episodes. For more information on how Employer Blueprint can help build great teams in your business, visit EmployerBlueprint.com. Or to inquire about Kyle speaking at your next event, visit KyleGorman.com. And until next time, make it a great day. Thank you.